So this is, um, I've got four pictures here. Two of them are Nicaragua and two of them are Ashbury. But this is what's happening in Nicaragua at the moment. Now for me, the only thing I know about Nicaragua is my favorite morph of red-tailed boa is the Nicaraguan phase of a red-tailed boa. So that's what I know about Nicaragua is it's, it's a light gray boa with a bright red tail. It's amazing. But, um, but this is the revival that's taking place in Nicaragua at the moment. And there's something amazing that's taking place. Want to go to the next one, Bob? This is also Nicaragua. See the, the people that are, there's just a move of what God's doing there, which is supernatural. Go to the next one, Bob. This is inside Ashbury. I love the picture of the sun rays coming through. Um, but this is the Ashbury revival taking place in Kentucky. Um, something's happened in, in America because not only is this taking place, but there's been spin-offs from this where uh, people, have, it's just God's doing something. I, I heard a testimony of a gentleman who traveled to Ashbury and kind of been t contemplating planting a church got there and someone came up to him and prophesied over him that it was the prophecy aligned with everything that God had been saying to him. And he went back and planted a church as a result of just hearing this prophetic word that he, he had been hearing some of these things, but it was confirmation from a stranger that kind of just aligned with everything that God had said because, I mean, prophecy does bring confirmation. So it was just amazing. Look at the next one. It's also it's a nice aerial shot of Ashbury and, and what's going on. In, in America. So currently there's close on 30 revivals globally. Um, there's a revival that's broken out in Uganda. There's one in Israel, in Jerusalem, uh, which is amazing to see. Uh, there's throughout the states, there's something of the move of God that, that's busy taking place. Now, the reason I'm sharing on this is I actually had prepared a message out of Acts and we've been going through Acts and uh, that was what I prepped for today. And kind of as I was praying through and I just admit that the message hadn't settled in my heart and I, I will preach it and I'm grateful that I've got a, a message in the, in the back pocket for for the next time but but I was kind of praying through the significance of today now as you know at three o'clock this afternoon we're meeting as a city the city of Belito to pray and I think it's amazing that some really tragic things have taken place in our community and it's been horrific um, we've had drownings, we've had um, car accidents, we, we've had, I mean, uh, balustrades failing and, and, and there's just been, community has absolutely been rocked in the last while. And it's amazing how the community hasn't rallied together to kind of protest road safety or hasn't uh, rallied together to uh, protest water safety or safety standards. The community has realized we need prayer. And uh, in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. Now, I'm by no means saying that God is causing any of what's taking place right now. God does not cause death and tragedy. But I do feel, though, that there's something special about humbling ourselves, praying before the king, and seeking his face. And, and, and when that happens, amazing things take place. Most revivals that have been sparked were sparked by prayer meetings. 
The Azusa Street Revival was a prayer meeting. The um, Welsh Revival was a prayer meeting. Ashbury started off as a prayer meeting. And there's something significant. Now, we see through Scripture some of these things, but, but what does it mean for us? So now we as a community are gathering to pray because the community recognizes the significance of a time to get together and pray. Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So in the city where we are, and the joys of globalization is many people live in exile. Um, Shanaina, born in, in Joburg, Belito is exile. Um, Sharon, Belito, Belito exile. For my mom, Belito is exile. For you guys, Hillcrest, you're coming, Belito is exile. This is not where we were born. There are a group of people who are legacy Belito people and they've lived here all their lives. But for us, we've come into the city and we get the privilege of actually praying on behalf of our city. We pray for its welfare, for in its welfare we'll find our own. So there's something happening today and I think it's a significant day in the history of our city. And we're trusting that it'll be a day where people look back on and say something shifted in the, in the, 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 the spiritual realm over our city. When the city gathered to pray. When the city gathered to cry out to our king because the city recognized that that was what was required. There's something special that happens when churches from around the city work together in unity for the outworking of Holy Spirit. And we're trusting that that's going to take place today. So why I've gone this way is as I was kind of pondering the last two weeks that we've had, we had Kia Taylor come in and he made a statement. He says, structure and format set aside for his presence. So you're going to set aside structure and format for the presence of God and that ushers in revival. He re mentioned revival. He spoke on the significance of evangelism in revival. He spoke on the significance of entering a city and trusting that when we enter a city, the city is transformed. He spoke about out of Jerusalem, where Jesus comes into Jerusalem for the first time. We speak about the triumphant entry. And that was the first time he ever entered into the city of Jerusalem. The amazing things that took place thereafter was incredible because of how he entered into that city. Vanna Bodnos came on Sunday last week and he spoke on Holy Spirit is vital for the church to operate in power. And he says if we want to be living in a place of revival, we're going to be living in a place where the Holy Spirit is given the, the, the rule and reign to operate in accordance with what the word says. Submitting to the Lordship of who Holy Spirit is. We serve a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all three of them fulfill a Lordship function. Equal God. Yes, we, we set our eyes upon Jesus. We focus on the darling of heaven. He's the name above all other names. But he said he's sending the Holy Spirit. So that who is it? The Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's um, 2 Corinthians 3, if I'm not mistaken, where that comes out of. But So there's the Spirit of the Lord. And, and he's saying, actually, the Holy Spirit is vital for the church to operate in power. So if we're going to see revival take place, now I'm not saying that we go chase revival, that we go chase signs and wonders. That's not our heart. Our heart is to seek Jesus and to allow Holy Spirit to do what Holy Spirit does. It's scary to think that we have to permit Him to operate as Lord in our lives. But it's evidence of the fact that He still honors our free will in what we do. 
Then Vanna spoke at the business breakfast on the significance of bivocational ministry and how this was the plan pre-fall, post-fall, pre-law, post-law and into grace. There was a thing of worshipping and out of worship our, our, our work takes place. So, so the significance of bivocational ministry, and for me, the term full-time ministry from a church point of view has always had a gripe in my heart because when we talk about full-time ministry, we assume it's a person who's church paid. Well, actually, the Bible is quite clear that every Christian is called to full-time ministry. But some of them work that out in church. Others work it out in business, in schools, in, in, in universities. So going to all the world, the word world, cosmos, world orders or world systems. So the outworking of us as Christians is bivocational ministry. Um, whether we're in church or whether we're out of church. And, and so Vanna spoke on the significance of that. So there's almost been this, this kind of positioning ourselves for what is to come. And it's weird because neither of them did I guide on what to speak on. When they asked me, Nick, is there something specific that you want us to speak on? I said, I just want you to seek God and speak on what God has. And it's amazing how the messages over, overlap, but they've actually positioned us for today. And that's why I'm talking on, and the title of this message is The Inconvenience of Revival. Because we're crying out and we're saying, Lord, let there be a revival. But I don't know if we recognize the inconvenience that this revival will bring to our own lives. Um, I had about three or four years ago, I had a, a prophetic word over business. And I felt that God is shaking kingdom business because he's preparing it to be the resource of revival. How do we sustain revival? Well, it needs to be resourced. Kingdom business is the platform to resource revival. And I just had a sense in business, it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about business, is because I trust that business is going to be the thing that resources revival. Um, uh, I look at, at the business that we're a part of, and a couple of years ago, just before Shanae and I felt we were going to come plant Adventure Church, Shanae's dad had a, uh, had a dream, and the dream had the numbers 333. Three, three. thought, Lord, this is weird. He, he never really dreams prophetically or anything like that. He woke up in the morning, but he had this, this, this thing of 333 three, three was burning on his heart. And he felt God say to him, uh, there's going to be a facilitating of three church plants three times in three years. This was the, the word. So he kind of was busy pondering this. And he entered into, we were sitting with a business consultant, it happens to be his brother. And uh, his brother opens up the meeting for us as a business. And he said, I just want to share the scripture that I felt God placed in my heart this morning. And it's Jeremiah 33, 3. So immediately Henny's ears start put 333. And it says there, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And all of a sudden, the stirring in his heart of what does this mean? Well, Shanae and I get the privilege of consulting for Nexus and our structure with how the commissions and things work are very favorable because they're facilitating a church plant. Um, a friend of ours, Joe and Kath, who planted Redemption in Kalani, uh, not long before they planted their church, uh, Henny looked at some of our customers and decided to give some of our customers over to Joe, who used to actually work at Nexus, started his own business. He, he buys from Nexus, but, but some of our customers were entrusted to him. 
church plant number two. They go and plant a church and all of a sudden there's resources coming through their accounts through the business of Nexus. The third one is um, uh, there was a business started in Kenya. The fourth one has been in New York. I've had the privilege of spending a couple of days recently doing some training with a guy who planted out of Cornerstone, Craig, who's planted into New York. And Nexus has just started Nexus uh, USA to help him fund his church plant. And it's amazing. I was speaking to him last week, Thursday. We were chatting and he said he preached on the power of prayer in church on the Sunday. And his people said, okay, cool, we're starting a prayer meeting. So now, on this last week, Wednesday, they launched their prayer meeting, and it wasn't even him who launched it, it was the people within their church who launched it saying, there's something significant about prayer. So I'm sharing this with you just because I really believe that there's something of kingdom business that God is busy with, and, and, and we have the privilege of working within a company that does this. I look at John, and, and I've seen him open up his business and his resources, the number of church uh, websites and things that he's doing free of charge is actually insane and it's it's foolish and and i have to say that to you uh, by earthly standards it's, it's it's foolish you don't have the time to do it and the busier he gets the more he takes on and it actually makes no sense it's illogical but god's blessing him and i'm seeing favor over his business because he's busy doing things that he probably shouldn't be doing um We've had the privilege, I'm busy training Craig up, and I said to him, he said, Nick, thank you so much. I said, my bud, I don't have the finances to sow into your church plant at the moment, but at least I can give you my time. It's been a bit weird because the time difference is, is hectic. So they, they're seven hours behind us. So his working day is well into our evening. So our family, I've had to say to them, guys, the last couple of days, listen, I've got some stuff I need to sort out, and I've been on on Zoom calls and, and WhatsApp calls with, with him because he's got some momentum with quoting. And, and, and for me, it's a privilege that I've got something that I can offer him with regards to, to kingdom. So I really believe that there's something of a shaking in kingdom business to resource revival. But understand that this revival that we, we're crying out for, and we're saying, Lord, let there be an outpouring of your spirit over our city comes in an inconvenience. And I'm going to share the inconveniences first, and I'm going to speak of some of the blessings that come with revival. But the, the first thing is our time. Revival disrupts our daily routine. The Ashbury um, revival that we can see up on the screen there, um, at one stage, two weeks nonstop, the pair meeting had been running 24 hours a day. God was, God was busy working. There were people coming there and, and their lives were being transformed. The second thing that comes out of it is finance. It impacts, one, the making of money. Said of John, it's foolish that he, the busier he gets in his business, the more he's taking on to do free of charge. It's illogical. Because it actually impacts his ability to generate finances. If he was taking that time to... Uh, spend on making money, you'd be able to make more money than him doing this free of charge. However, the favor of God is, is facilitating what he's busy with. But the other thing is it requires resourcing. So not only is it a financial um, sowing in terms of the fact that we no longer have the same amount of time to do the work that we're called to do, but also we're going to be resourcing what God's busy with. Opening up and saying, Lord, here's my donkey. For me, 
It's a picture that I've always seen of, of releasing into the kingdom. Jesus goes into Jerusalem. It's a different take on where Kia came in the other day. But Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He sends the disciples ahead of him and says, Go, there's a donkey that's tied up that has never been ridden. And if anyone asks, say the Lord needs it. And, and for me, God's challenged us as a family to say, if you have faith for other people to untie their donkeys, you're going to have to be prepared to untie your own. So he's taken us through a season where our business has been shaken and God's challenged us to release resources. It's been a challenging thing. But I tell you this much, it's fruitful. Because if the Lord needs it, the Lord needs it. I was chatting to a guy that works with me this week and he was just talking about the possibility of, of dreams and desires for one day potentially moving overseas and and, and while he was talking to me about this, he said, Nick, but you don't seem to be concerned about this. I'm, I'm training the guy. I said, no, because if, if God says to me, um, the Lord needs it, then we, we release. We release. Um, if God needs any one of us, we release. Open-handed. Um, when Emmanuel felt called to go back to Cape Town, Emmanuel and Jen and Amy, valuable resources here. We open our hands and we say, if the Lord needs it, you, you, I'm not saying that they're donkeys, but I am saying that when God wants to do something, we have to be open-handed. Um, number three is it makes us uncomfortable. And I tell you this much, that the miraculous is often strange. When the miraculous takes place, it often makes us feel uncomfortable. Um, Archie Kendall made the statement, there is more evidence of strange fire than no fire in the Bible. So the reality is when some of these things take place, Think of Jesus where he's busy ministering to the crowd and next minute there's a funeral procession that walks past and he leaves the crowd and he goes and raises up the son who's just died. That's pretty weird. When, when Peter or John are walking through to a prayer meeting, because prayer is, is important, and, and they see that the, the man at the gate's beautiful and he's begging and they say, silver and gold have I none, but what we do have, we give to you. Now get up and walk and this lame man gets up and walks. It's, it can be pretty strange. Um, when, when Peter is, and this is where I'll be preaching probably next week, but when, when Peter has this vision of the, the, the sheet and, and all of a sudden God challenges him to go and minister to a bunch of Gentiles. This was, this was uncomfortable for him. This was out of, out of the, the norm for him. But he goes and he ministers there and there's a move of Holy Spirit amongst the Gentiles. Uh, it requires us stepping out of our comfort zone. I look at Shanae today with, with leading worship and it was her first time. And I know that that's a nerve-wracking experience. But revival is going to challenge us to step out of our comfort zone. It might challenge us to, to go and lay hands on someone where we're thinking, I don't know if this is even possible. Remember reading a, a book called They Told Their Stories about the Azusa Street Revival and, and just some of the, the, the things that took place and how a person walked in and they had a, a prosthesis on one of their limbs. I can't remember where it was. And they said, can you pray for me because it's infected and, and where, where the stump is, it's infected. I want, to, I want healing from the infection. So the person says, can you remove your prosthesis? They said, why? I said, no, because I'm trusting for your limb to grow back. This person came because they were infected. The person prayed, expecting the limb to grow back, and the limb grew back. And this person started running around. I think it was a leg, if I'm not mistaken. Crazy stuff. Makes us uncomfortable. 
Um, the fourth thing is it unlocks the door to our homes and our dining room tables. And, and for us, that's a diff difficult one. Uh, sometimes having people just rock up and actually recognize that there's something happening here that whether it's prayer, whether it's just I'm, I'm desperate for, for, for someone to chat to, uh, whether it's bringing in the lame or the, or the, or the sick, because they see that God is moving, but, but it unlocks our homes. And in South Africa, we're quite good at protecting our homes. Um, I had a, a friend of ours, he was the, the global facilities lead from Canada, came through when, when I was working at Hatch years ago. And he came to see our building in Cape Town. And my, my previous boss was driving him through Cape Town, showing him all the beautiful houses in Cape Town. And he drove him through some of the, the most prestigious suburbs in Cape Town. And old Joe from Canada says, I'm sure the houses must look amazing, but all I can see are really big walls. For him, I mean, that's how we live. And, and I think God's going to break down the, the, the significance of the physical barrier for spiritual growth and for spiritual output. Number five, our bias has to get set aside because the people who we know, in inverted commas, get transformed and we need, we need to love and accept them. I look at the disciples' reaction when Paul has his Damascus experience and Ananias takes him to the disciples and their first look at this guy is, surely not. We don't trust a thing that's coming out. This is the guy that was trying to kill us. We've seen a rise of violence and gang violence and drugs. When those people land up encountering Jesus and they have a reputation in our environment and we look at them and say, but this oak, I know who you are. No, no, you know who he was. But the beautiful thing about salvation is we become a new, a, a new a creation, new identity. The old has gone and the new has come. And we're going to have to set bias aside and accept those people and potentially work with those people for the advancement of the kingdom. And we're going to have to deal with that in our hearts quickly. Number six, the spirit leads us into the unknown, which is often scary. When we truly surrender and say, Lord, you do what you have to do. I don't know the places he will take us. people that we will end up going to. I had the privilege not so long ago of preaching in the slums of Kenya. And Mike and I uh, went and we, we caught an Uber from our hotel to go to this church, beautiful little church in the, in the, the slums of, of Kenya. And it was, it was quite amazing to, to witness because, I mean, you've got people with little stalls selling things. And the things that they're selling are broken. Like it, it honestly looks like rubbish. And, and people are going there to buy it because they see value in what, what they're doing. The, the rubbish in the middle of the road, in the road itself, was piled up probably 1.2, 1.3 meters high. The stench was, was insane. The Uber driver had never been into the slums himself and refused to drop us off where we asked. He, the only place he was prepared to allow us to get out of his car was at the police station. So I had to get hold of Mark, who leads the church, and ask him to meet us at the police station. And he had to walk from, from the church to fetch us there because the Uber driver refused to drop us anywhere else. 
night was amazing. Um, we had the privilege of praying over little kids. And there were two little kids in particular. The, the one little boy, had a, his hand was deformed. And he couldn't open his hand. He had no movement, no ability in his hand. And I went and prayed for him. And, and I prayed over him. He's probably about two years old. And I laid hands on him and I prayed for him. And I prayed for him. And his mom was standing behind him. And um, eventually his little hand opened. It didn't open fully, but it opened. And I asked him through translators. And I said, can you grab your mom's hand? And he gripped his mom's fingers. And she said it's the first time in her life he's ever held her hand. In the slums of, of Kenya. Now it wasn't anything special on our part. We just happened to be in a place where these kids came. Mike prayed for a little girl who uh, was paralyzed on the one side of her body. And, and they were started to get some movement back in, in, in that area. Something, God started working in, in the slums of Kenya. But, but the Holy Spirit often leads us into the unknown and that place is scary. But we're going to have to set aside our own concerns in the physical to allow God to do what He wants to do. It might be a person manifesting in front of us. You think, what well, now what? We lay hands and we, we say, go. It might be someone who is dead and we go lay hands on their body and say, in the name of Jesus, get up. I've had the privilege of praying over two dead bodies in my life and neither of them came back to life. However, I believe it's scriptural. I believe the Bible says it must happen. And if I have the privilege of praying over a third, I'll speak life over that one as well. Or a fourth or a fifth. But, but it was uncomfortable. I tell you this much, it was, it was quite scary. I, I had a lady in our offices, um, she got a phone call one day, her husband had passed away in hospital. And I said to her, let me drive you through. I drove through to a hospital in, in Germiston. And I went as her employer. I mean, she, she worked for me. At this is, I, I was standing there and I remember standing in the room with her family as they were mourning the loss of her husband. And I remember God saying to me quite clearly, you're standing here as her employer. You're meant to be standing here as her pastor. She was part of our church. I was on eldership at the time. And I, my head was not in that place. And I all of a sudden had to get my head and my heart around what was happening. And had an opportunity to pray with the family, love the family. And I said to her, my Aggie, would, would it be okay if I, I go pray for your husband? She said, I'd love it. Please. And I took Kate with me, a lady who, who works at, at Nexus. And her and I went and laid hands on this body in a, in, a, in a hospital. And he did not come up. However, I do think for Kate, it was a, a life-changing moment for her. Because she had never been a part of something like this. She came in there hesitantly but with boldness. And it was amazing. Um, I'm going to wrap up quite quickly. I want to try and go through some scripture. Sorry. Um, Acts 2, 41 to 47 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, they were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the picture of the revival that we're calling out upon. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. All came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and all had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What would we do in this place if 3,000 were added to our number overnight? Are we prepared for that and can we cope with that? Now, this is not a thing about numbers, and the success of a church is not determined by numbers. You cannot measure the success of a church by, by numbers, by meetings, by gatherings. It's a heart issue. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a seeking the face of Jesus thing. And many fall short by trying to qualify their ministry by, by earthly success measures. But my question is, if 3,000 were added to our number daily, and from there, even more day on day on day, are we able to cope with that? Are we able to welcome those in, and love them, and disciple them, and, and feed them, and look after them, and nurture them, and lead them, and guide them? Because the Bible says we're to shepherd the flock of our inheritance. And it's, in this context, shepherding, oh, it's not too bad. But when we're sitting at 500 to 1, we're going to raise up leaders quickly. We're going, to, we're going to disciple people well. We're going to pray for anointing over people that God equips them with giftings. Acts 4 verse 1 to 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the, the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. One of the other things that potentially comes out of revival is persecution for those who do not understand what's going on. And are we able to love those who persecute us? Because often they are the ones that are added to our number daily. Love Acts 4, 27. So this is as a byproduct of the guys being arrested, Peter and John being arrested. It says here, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God. So they prayed and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? This is the passage of scripture that John preached on and did such a great explanation of this here. 
It says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. Not grant your servants peace and... They didn't pray. They said, this is what's happening. Persecution, grant us boldness. Not take away the persecution, but grant us boldness. It's a crazy, crazy prayer. It says, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through your name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It's amazing. God offered them what they asked for. They prayed for boldness. They got boldness. Tell you this much, the persecution never ceased, but... They continued to move with boldness. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. It's amazing how the parallels with Acts 2, this is in Acts 4, pretty much the same words. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The word grace means unmerited favor. It's the difference between grace and mercy. Mercy, pardon from a miserable consequence, grace, unmerited favor. So great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was dip distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. They had everything in common, and they distributed their resources. Acts 5, verse 12 to 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, now you've got to know, this is after the 3,000 were added to their number. This is after more were added to their number day by day. And it says, and more than ever... Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Crazy to see what happens in this thing. So what happens in revival? Well, there's an outpouring of power. And the Holy Spirit is poured out to Acts 1.8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends the earth. All were impacted. Believers were united and given purpose. Psalm 133, where there's unity amongst brothers, commands a blessing. Ephesians 4, the fivefold gifting until unity is reached. Unity is something vitally important. The fact that we're going today and there's a unity amongst the churches in this place is unheard of. And, and for me, it commands a blessing. Okay, so the believers were impacted and they were given purpose. They were laying hands on the sick. The sick were being brought in mats. I'm telling you now, they brought with them flies. They brought with them gross stuff. But they went and they laid hands on them. Um, the non-believers encountered Jesus. And that's why thousands were being added to their number daily. So the believers were being impacted and the non-believers were being impacted. 
physical and spiritual needs were being met. So they weren't just healing the sick, but they were also distributing funds to help those who didn't have food. So they were meeting physical and spiritual needs simultaneously. There was the outpouring of tongues. And, and I'll, I'll get to a day when I preach on this properly, but in 1 Corinthians 14, it speaks on the significance of it. 1 Corinthians 12 or 13 speaks of two different types of tongues. It says, if you speak in the tongues of men and in the tongues of angels. So we see in Acts 2, the outpouring of tongues, where they were speaking in different languages that were foreigners could understand. Azusa Street Revival, a little girl, they said a little young lady, a little girl. Now you've got to know that the ladies who were involved with Azusa Street Revival like 15 or 16 years old. So if they were talking about a little girl, she's probably six, seven, eight years old, took a little box, went up to an Indian man who didn't speak a word of English and started speaking over him in tongues. Unbeknown to her, she was speaking fluent Hindi, told him the things that he had done. This man goes back and takes the gospel message to India and a revival breaks out in India. Okay, so we have the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. Okay? And, and, and Paul, when in the church of Corinth, they allowed the, 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 the like, they, they pursued Holy Spirit without pursuing the word. And it was a little bit chaotic. He started to bring them back into accordance with the word. And he says there, uh, I don't want you to be praying in tongues in your meetings. If you do, you've got to bring an interpretation. John shared on that last week about how there was uh, prayer in tongues. Um, out that he had at the youth at Destiny Life the other night and they waited on an interpretation because that's biblical. Paul says if there's going to be in a, in a corporate gathering, if you're going to have a tongue, let there be an interpretation. So that's the outworking. He says, but I want you to prophesy because of the building up the church. He says, however, the purpose of tongues is to build yourself up. Now for me, my understanding of that is we cannot give of what we do not have. So if we want to be prophesying to encourage the church, we better be praying in tongues to build ourselves up. So that we are ready and expectant. Because Paul says, of all of you, I pray in tongues more than any of you. And I desire that you all pray in tongues. But more importantly, I desire that you prophesy. Why? Because it builds up the church. So there's actually a really important thing about this outpouring of tongues. Is it, it was a platform for the believers to be built up so that when they were in the midst of these things they had so that they could give. Um, signs and wonders followed. I think the church for a long time has almost been skeptical of signs and wonders and we've almost shied away from it. But it's biblical. We see it throughout the book of Acts, we see it throughout the gospel that there's actually something. Jesus did this stuff and he said go and do the same. When he sent out the disciples, he said and he gave them authority to heal the sick to cast out demons, to, to, to heal the lepers, raise the dead. There was an authority that was given. So signs and wonders follow those who believe. And, and I'm trusting that we're going to have more of this. We're going to have more of an outpouring. I mean, I, I never forget the story that Henny told when he was praying um, over certain people. And there was a lady that was kind of sitting, standing over there. And they hadn't got to her. And while he was praying, she fell over didn't touch her she just fell over they got report back that she had been struggling with hiv for a number of years went and got tested she was hiv negative god touched her and healed her in a prayer meeting they didn't touch her it wasn't like they there was not even a human hand that was laid upon her she just experienced something of what holy spirit was doing and her hiv status shifted i think she was 28 years old if i'm not mistaken But guys were busy doing something. 
And, and the thing about signs and wonders is they're, they're evidence for unbelievers. I tell you this much, if you have an unbeliever present and a person's limb grows back in front of their eyes, they cannot help but believe. Heard a statement recently, the difference between believing and faith is you believe the things that you see, you have faith for things that are unseen. Faith is sure of what you hope for, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. So the difference between belief and faith is belief is seeing something, faith is believing it before you see it. But I tell you this much, when unbelievers see these things take place, they cannot help but leave transformed. And the other thing about revival is it's founded in both word and prayer. So there's an outpouring of power. Holy Spirit starts to come, as I said earlier, that Kia Taylor made the statement, is structure and format are set aside for his presence, which is why often those meetings don't just end in an hour or two, but they go on for weeks and weeks and weeks because the structures are set aside. This is exactly how we do it, and we'll give five minutes for Holy Spirit to move in between, but we make sure we cover all our bases. Full surrender to Him is a lot more messy, and it's a lot more chaotic. Holy Spirit is vital for the church to operate in power, but it's founded in the Word, and it's founded in prayer. So I want to let Shanaki come, and, and we're going we're gonna to end in, in worship. And, and, and praise and worship is vitally important to this as well. Praise and worship is the thing that positions us in the presence of God. If we want people to be transformed, let them experience the presence of God and they cannot help but be changed. Whether they are a believer or an unbeliever, even unbelievers in the presence of God they, they come to a place of knowing Him. Believers in the presence of God enjoy the, the, the beautiful process of sanctification and we leave more in His image. Praise and worship. Exalting our King is something that's so important. Surrendering to His Lordship. So Lord Jesus, I just pray for us as a church, Lord. I pray, Father, for what you are busy with. I pray for our community, Lord. I pray for this prayer meeting today and I pray, Lord, that you do such a mighty work among us. Come like a rushing wind, Lord, and I pray that, that our, our city will be transformed. Father, we don't cry out just for revival. We cry out for you, King. We seek your face. Henny shared two things with me recently. He says we, we don't seek God's hand, we seek his face. He says we don't have faith in our faith, we have faith in our Father. It's two, two one-liners that have really struck me. Lord, we seek your face, Lord. And our faith is in you, our Father. Not in us and our own ability. We come humbly to this. But Father, I pray for a boldness over us. I pray for a confidence in our identity. Lord, I pray that you ready us to be inconvenienced for this thing. Lord, I don't know what you're busy with. But I know that our mission and our mandate has never shifted. To know Jesus and to make him known. And I pray, Father, that we will have opportunity after opportunity to know you more and to make you known. Opportunity to encounter those who do not believe. Just to bless them 
the gift of who you are. Well, thank you, King. Amen.